looked at how he was tempted by these things and how they ultimately led him. If you know the story, he fell in love with a, a lady named Delilah and she convinced him to cut his hair or he convinced, she convinced him to tell her what his strength was and that it was his hair. And she cut his hair so that the, her people could take over and ultimately they tortured him and blah, blah, blah. So we saw Samson and how he came to his temptations and he was led down this path of destruction. And then ultimately we saw how he prayed to God and, and admitted these areas where he failed God. And he, and he became tempted and came to his temptations. And we saw ultimately how God used him and took him down this path of redemption. And so we saw our first path, the path of destruction, and the second path, a path of redemption. And, and I think if I look around this room, and I know uh, most of you guys in here pretty well, and I, and I know a lot about your stories, and, I'm, and, and I know for a lot of you, you're like, you don't know me. I get that, right? But I know a lot of you guys in here, and I know your story, and I know some of the paths of destruction you've walked down in your life, and I also know some of the path of redemption that you've seen in your life. And so these were very applicable things that, that we knew that we have gone through or that we've experienced in our life, right? <clears throat> and then after we looked at those two, uh, we looked at the, what's called the Romans Road, but we, we looked at Paul and how he wrote this book of Romans and he drew out a path of salvation, for us, and, and, and again, this is something that, that hopefully everyone of, in, of you in here has either heard of that or has experienced that uh, because this is honestly the most important decision that you could make in your life is to give your life to ser in service to God through the experience of salvation. So we looked at this path of salvation, and today we're going to look it up in talking about something that even outside of the church... I hear this phrase used a lot, and, and I think you guys are all going to, to know what I mean or, or kind of have a thought about what I'm about to say. But tonight, we are going to look at this famed path of righteousness. Now, I think it's interesting that all of us in here would probably say at some time or another, we've heard of this idea of a path of righteousness but what's interesting is we don't see this phrase used one time in the New Testament. We see a lot talk about the path of the righteous man and that God will lead us down paths and stuff in the Old Testament. We don't even really see the phrase path of righteousness in the Old Testament. But we definitely don't see a whole lot about this idea of a path of righteousness in the New Testament, which when we're looking at this idea of a New Testament church or, or what the Baptist church would be considered a Protestant church, it would we don't see this idea of a path of salvation coming from New Testament scripture. But I think this is a phrase, like I said, that we've heard a lot throughout our lives. And so I start to ask myself, what exactly does this mean? Why do we say a path of righteousness if this isn't necessarily a scriptural idea? And I started looking into this and I realized that the path of righteousness is a scriptural idea, it's just not something that's talked about in scripture, right? This idea that there's a, there's a path or, or, a, or a road that we are to travel as Christians is something that is very real. And so this path of righteousness is a very real thing, 
but it's not explicitly talked about. And so we have to dig through the scripture and read through and understand what is being said and what we're talking about with this, with this idea of a path of righteousness. Now, if I ask you guys, and, and if I like pulled you out into the hall in a line and said, come in one at a time and then tell me what you think the path of righteousness is and then sit down. And then the next person, and I have you all do that. What there's like two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18. There's about 20 people in here. I would probably get over 10 different answers at least, right? We can all understand that how we may view and what we may think of as the path of righteousness may be very different from what anyone else in this room thinks of as the path of righteousness. So tonight I want to look at what path we should be focused on, whether we want to call it a path of righteousness or something else, what that kind of path is that we need to be following and, and how and give you guys kind of three main tools of how we can follow that path. So to set this all up, I want to look back at something we used during our Path of Salvation lesson. <clears throat> and we used um, some pieces from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which if you don't know where to find that, um, the part we're going to be talking about is going to be in Matthew 7. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever, and you want to turn to Matthew 7, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 7, starting in verse 13 tonight. But if, you, if you've read the book of Matthew, we see that basically chapters 5, 6, and 7, for the most part, are what is called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this was essentially a, a long period of teaching that he did, um, or what people today consider a sermon that he did to a bunch of people um, that, that were listening to him during his earthly ministry. And we used a couple pieces from this. And I want to look specifically at basically verse 13, where Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many may enter. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. And we know that this gate that he's talking about is this idea of salvation. And that's why we use this as the path of salvation, because clearly it says in there the path and the gate, right? And so path fits perfectly. But, but realistically, when we're looking at this passage of Scripture, if we're looking at the gate as our ultimate goal, the path that leads up to our ultimate goal, which our ultimate goal should be to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven, but our, what leads up to that gate is essentially the path of life. Right. So while we looked at this path as this leading to salvation, which it could also be viewed as, we can also view this same path, this narrow path, as he calls it, or this to this narrow gate as the path of life or the path of righteousness that we are to follow with our lives. And, and so um, what I want to do tonight is I want to look at the, the passage directly after and, and the few verses that, that are directly after where he says, where Jesus says this phrase about narrows the road and narrows the gate that leads to life. Because when we look at this idea of salvation, right, we, we know salvation to be this change. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But we know salvation to be this change and it leads us to how we should live the rest of our life. And so what we need to look at is in these passages, Jesus is talking about this experience of salvation, this gate that leads to life. 
And so what we need to look at is directly what he says after that. And then these, these two chunks of scripture that we see in here are actually the ending of his Sermon on the Mount. So he kind of ends with like, here's how to get to heaven and here's what you should do after you are saved and gain your way into heaven. And so um, we're going to read starting in uh, Matthew seven thirteen and reading to the end of that chapter. Shouldn't take us too long, but stick with me. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Let's, let's focus on that right there. We're going to come back to that. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that on this day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I'm going to go ahead and stop there. The, the last part is the wise man who built his house on the rock. And it talks about the foundation built on your salvation. But we're going to really dive into those two sections right there. The one about bearing fruit and the one about people calling out uh, to Jesus in the, the final days. So um, in these passages, so we see Jesus tell people that he is the gate. He is the way to heaven. And we, then we immediately see Jesus turn around and give a warning not to fall prey to the false teachers who claim to be the gate or claim to be the way to heaven when Jesus is the only gate. Right? So we see him say, I am the gate and do not listen to what anyone else says. That's a very bold statement. Right? If I were to stand up here and to say, listen to what I say and don't listen to anything anyone else says, that's a lot of confidence in myself. That's a lot of boldness for me to say, I know better than everyone else. But I think it's important that Jesus states this. Because in our lives, we like to, we like to hear from different, piece, different people, different resources and everything. We don't always trust the first place we hear stuff, right? That's kind of a, a, a bad part of our society today is we just don't trust the first thing we hear always. We need to hear it from multiple sources. And so I think it's interesting that Jesus immediately says, hey, don't go looking anywhere else for truth because I am the only truth. And anyone else who claims to be the truth is lying. And the way you can tell they're lying is by the fruit that their life bears, Guys, as a representative and an image bearer of God, we have this same sort of pressure put on us that he puts on false prophets, right? He says, look at the false prophets and judge them essentially. And I'm not saying that judging is okay, but, but measure them on how much good fruit their life bears. So God has then placed this basically on every human, right? So if anyone claims to be whatever, 
We should be able to tell if they are a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ or a non-Christian and a non-follower of Jesus Christ based on the good and bad fruit that is produced out of their life. If someone looks at your life and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, they should obviously see good fruit coming out of your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Guys, if you claim to be a Christian and you are not doing the things that you are called to do as a child of God, you are not following the path of righteousness that God has set before you. If you are living a sinful lifestyle, you are not following God's plan for your life. I I, I have a demonstration here for you real quick. I'm going to move my Bible because I don't want it to get wet. But I want to show you guys something because I've seen this and I was like, oh, that's really cool. But I don't know if I've ever used it. And I feel like it. I feel like that some of you guys might connect with what I'm about to do. You know, we look at the Christian life and we look at this idea of salvation. And we think that that our life is like this picture. And it's filled with sin, right? It's filled with sin that in this case is in the form of rocks. And we look at this. I know you can't really see through here well, but just bear with me. And we look at this moment of salvation as when Jesus fills us up. And we don't, the sin doesn't go away, right? Because we're still human. And so we think that, that salvation is just God filling in these empty places between our sin. And, and so, so many times we look at our lives and we go, okay, well, I'm a Christian because God has filled all these holes in my life. I think this has a hole in it. <laughs> Speaking of holes. Um, so we look at this and we say, Jesus has filled all the holes in my life, but I'm still human, so I still sin, right? And that's okay because, you know, that's what Jesus was for, and it's okay if I keep sinning. I'm going to pour some water back in here so I have enough, especially if it's leaking. But in reality, when we experience salvation, we should see this change. That verse says, the old is dead dead the 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 old is dead it no longer exists it no longer remains the the dead the old is dead and the new remains jesus does not desire to fill up the holes in your life and allow the sin to remain. He, he comes in to remove the sin from your life so that he is the new that remains. You look at this picture and you look at this picture. I'll go ahead and add that in there. And you say, look, this one is not going to bear any good fruit because we still see the sinful attributes of this life. This one can bear good fruit because it is wholly filled with only Jesus Christ. 
And I'm not saying that when you become a follower of Jesus that you have to be perfect. Right? So don't, don't misunderstand me whenever I say that. But you should desire to be perfect. The problem that so many people have is they look at their sin and they say, well, you know, that's just my sin. And, you know, God accepts me for my sin, so I just keep doing it. We have to be people who reject the life that we had before we came to Christ. We have to be people who reject our temptations, reject our earthly desires. We look at what Jesus says there about bearing good fruit, and he elaborates on it in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Guys, he's telling us right there that just because we find the gate does not mean that we continue living the way that we were. It says that we are to do the God's will, his Father's will that is in heaven. And this is not to say that our actions or anything that we do personally helps us to be saved or gains us admittance into heaven. However, it does question if you were ever actually saved in the first place, if you see no good fruit in your life. If you look at your life and you don't see yourself doing the things that the Father commands, you need to ask yourself if you've ever truly experienced salvation. Because salvation does not leave you with a bunch of rocks. It leaves you with an empty pitcher. Only to be filled with water in Jesus Christ. If you think that I'm taking that out of context or anything, I'm going to give you a backup verse to that. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We are not called to be people who just simply read God's word or hear someone stand up here or in the sanctuary and teach God's word and not allow it to affect the way that we live our daily lives. We are to be people who hear God's word and we turn around and we do what it says. If you, <clears throat> if you have experienced true salvation through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone in your life, first, there should be a noticeable change from who you were before to who you are now. And second, this change should not be something that is temporary. You should be devoted to serving God and following his commands for the rest of your days. And this doesn't mean that you'll never stumble or, or stray or we look at this and it says, Jesus says, narrow is the path. And if you're walking a narrow path, especially if you're like a big guy like me that doesn't have the greatest balance in the world, you're not always going to stay on this super narrow path, right? Like you could imagine trying to ride a bicycle down a really narrow path. Occasionally you're going to go into the grass and have to recorrect, right? That's going to happen. But your goal is to never accept driving in the grass, right? Your goal is to stay on the path to the best of your ability. <clears throat> being, being devoted to God in the best of your ability does not mean ever, never getting off the path, but it does mean getting back on as quick as possible when you do get off. <clears throat> 
getting back on to being devoted to God and following his commands. And this means that your, your conviction of the evil in your life, these, these things that draw you off the path, the conviction of that always ultimately leads you back to God. <clears throat> in the same way that like when you do something wrong and you feel like you need to go apologize to someone for it, that, that, that crushing feeling that convicts you to go apologize is the same feeling that should ultimately lead you back to faith in God. And so when we look at this idea of path of righteousness on a basic level, it's simply being a Christian and doing the things that God tells us to do as Christians. That's what the path of righteousness is. <clears throat> Meaning that you devote your life, your energy, your talents, your relationships, your all to God. But on a complex level, the path of righteousness is so much more than that because I look at what God says the path of righteousness is to me. And God has put a call on my life to be a minister of the gospel. And not to say that any of you out there are not called to share the gospel because it's very plain and clear to see that God calls each and every one of us to share the gospel. But I am called to full-time ministry by God. That may not be what God is calling you to. The call that I have on my life may look much different than the call that you have on your life. Meaning that what is my path of righteousness to God and your path of righteousness to God can be two very different things. Do you understand what I'm saying there? We're not all called as Christians to follow the same path, but we are called to follow the same commands. So my path... And following all of God's commands may go this way. And your path and following all God's commands may go this way. But ultimately, as long as we're following God's commands and what he's called to do us in our life, we're following our personal path of righteousness. This does not give you the freedom to choose your path. This does not give you the freedom to say, God wants this for me and so I'm going to seek this out. You have to be someone who is devoted to God, what he is saying, and seeking after that, and going after that with your all. And you will find <clears throat> your, the path that God has created for you to go on to further his kingdom. I know, I know many of you guys in here are going through a lot of personal change in your life. Maybe some of you, I, I don't think we have any just graduated seniors in here. But, oh, one, okay. So, so some of you guys may be in here getting ready to go move out of the house, go off on your own. That's a big change. Some of you may just be moving up into youth. That's a big change. Some of you guys may be changing schools, moving, I don't know, whatever the situation is. Guys, you guys are teenagers. Like literally everything changes year to year, right? Like the, the, your setting's different, your situation is different. You guys are constantly going through changes. And it's so hard a lot of times to try to pick and choose the direction that God wants you to go every time there's a change, right? Every time you reach a crossroads in your life, you're like, well, do I go left, do I go right, or do I go straight? And, and these are decisions that you're constantly having to make every time a change pops up in your life. And, and so, so maybe you're sitting out here today and you're going... I don't know how to, I don't know how to find God's path for my life. 
I don't know how to make these decisions based on God's plan for my life. Or, or maybe you're sitting here like the, the video was saying, and you, you, your head knows all the right things you're supposed to do. Your head knows the direction you're supposed to go, but your heart like can't match it. Right? Maybe you know that God's telling you you need to stop doing this. You need to end this relationship. You need to start doing this more. But your, your heart can't quite get on board. It keeps dragging you towards this thing you shouldn't be doing. Or it keeps dragging you back into this relationship. It keeps dragging you further away from this thing you should be doing. <clears throat> I'm going to give you guys the most basic and simple Three steps to find God's path for you. This is by no means the, like, some revolutionary thought right here, okay? And, and honestly, I think these might sound a little obvious to some of you, but what I think as I was writing these down is someone in this room needs to hear this. Three things that we have to do to find God's plan for our lives. One, seek God. You're never going to find something if you're not looking for it. Imagine playing a game of hide and go seek. And you count to whatever number. And you sit around complaining that you can't find anyone in a chair. That would be the stupidest thing ever, right? But yet so many Christians sit around on their butts waiting for God to reveal himself to them without them having to lift a finger at all. Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, right before where we read, this is in Matthew 7, just before where we read tonight, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Guys, the first thing we have to do is we have to seek out God. Now, I'm not saying God can't come to you if you're not doing anything. God can't reveal himself to you. But guys, it's a whole lot easier to find God if you're looking for him. We have to be people who seek God out. And, and I don't know exactly what this means for you. I can sit here and I can say, hey, seek God. Bye. I, I can't give you any more than that because I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it means you start reading your Bible more. Getting into God's word and trying to decipher what he's trying to say to you. Maybe it means that you come to church more and, and hope that God will reveal himself through someone's teaching or th through something that happens at church. Maybe it means spending more time in prayer. Guys, I don't know what the answer is, how you need to seek God more. I know people who come to church and they pray every day, but they never read their Bible on their own. And they go, I can't find God. He's in the Bible. How hard is it to open your Bible and read it? Something needs to change. Only you know the areas of your life that you aren't seeking God with. And you must get this fixed before you can understand God's full path for your life. So first, you have to seek God. Second, you have to actually listen to God. Guys, there's a whole lot of a difference between someone talking to you and you actually listening to them. Right? You guys are teenagers. Your parents talk to you and you don't always listen to them, right? That was a joke. You can laugh. It's okay. There's a difference between someone talking to you and you listening to them. Guys, and I know that that's hard because sometimes God's telling us stuff we don't want to hear. 
And so sometimes it's easier to ignore it or pretend like he's not talking to us than it is to actually listen. And again, listening to God in the same way that seeking God requires an action on our part. If you aren't hearing from God, it's not necessarily because God is silent. It's because you aren't listening. And again, there's no way I can tell you how you can listen to God. If you're interested in some tools to maybe help you hear from God more, you can check out. um, We do have a podcast, the Lowell Student Ministry Podcast. And I taught a lesson just a couple weeks ago about hearing from God. So if you're sitting here tonight going, how can I hear from God? Go check that out. I gave you guys some tools for how you can better hear from God. But listening to God requires your investment, requires your effort. Whatever is blocking you from listening to God, you must first fight to open that line of communication before you can find God's path for your life. And then third, you have to execute God's plan. Guys, I I talk about this all the time. I was an athlete growing up. And I think about these, these three phases, right? If, if I needed a play called, I would go to my coach on the sideline and I'd say, coach, give me a play. Right? That's seeking out, you know, seeking. And then when he diagrams the play on the clipboard, I have to actually listen to it. But then if I go out there and do my own thing, what good do the first two things do me? Nothing. You have to execute. You have to be willing to do what God says to do. This circles back to being a doer of the word. And I promise you guys, that's a lot easier said than done. (coughs) God gives us so much. He gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us calls on our life. He gives us personal ministries or people to connect with. He gives us paths for our life. We have to be people who cast aside the path that we want to travel, the path of least resistance, and people who execute And follow the path that God has laid out before us. I feel many of you guys in here, many of you guys in here may be convicted by what we've talked about tonight. Because as I was writing this, I felt very convicted myself. Guys, this is a convicting thing to think about living your life in the way that you're supposed to live it. And guys, no no shocker here, we all fall short of God's glory. We are all sinners. So we should all be convicted by this message telling us that we need to do better. And I feel like our lives may not be producing the type of fruit that we may be wanting them to produce. And I look around this room and I've spent some time with you guys this summer. At, at, we've had leadership retreat, we've had youth camp, and we've had uh, the Falls Creek Roadshow that we went to last week. And I've seen multiple, guy, multiple of you guys in here make a commitment to God this summer, or a recommitment, to live your life striving after God to the best of your ability. And what I fear is that already, we're not even like six days into August, and you've either not followed through with that commitment that you made at the time... You've said, man, I need God in my life and I need to refocus my life on him. And you just never executed that or you executed it and it broke down quickly thereafter. What I'm asking you guys tonight, what I'm telling you guys tonight is first, if you're living in the darkness and don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need that more than you can know. 
please come talk to me after and we can straighten that out and we can find this path. We can find this gate that we've talked about. I can show you how to become a Christian and devote your life to God. But second, what I'm saying is that if you already have a relationship with Jesus and you're still living in the darkness of your sin, the darkness of your your human side, your, your selfish desires, it is essential that you get that fixed right now and start living a life that produces good fruit. Stop making excuses for living your life void of God. Start something tonight that has an impact for the kingdom of God. I'm going to pray for you guys. And then Dakota, will you throw those words up there and start those three songs? And like I said, if this is a time where you need to get something straight with God, just listen to the music and pray. Dakota, we're just going to do the first two songs, okay? Take this time to just pray to God. If you feel like you need to seek God out tonight, maybe just read scripture. Look for what look for what God's calling you to do. Maybe you're needing to execute tonight and you're needing this moment to just say, God, I want to worship you with these songs. And then I want to go outside of these doors and continue to execute my life being devoted to you because you are worthy of my praise and you are worthy of my life being devoted to you. I don't know what that means for you right now. And, and if you want to talk to me, I'll be somewhere in the back of the room. But I want you guys to take these two songs as a time for you to spend with God in any way that you see fit. I'm going to pray in Dakota will you hit the lights. God, thank you so much for this evening. I thank you so much for your forgiveness because, God, we need it so much in our life. We know we always fall short of you, but we pray that you would convict us of these times when we fall short, that you would convict us of these things that we do, these things that we try to harbor in our lives, that you would just get rid of them, that you would just wipe them away and that you would completely fill us up with your living water. God, I thank you for all that you do for us, all the gifts that you give us. And I pray that you would just give us a burden to make sure that we are taking these valuable gifts that you are giving us and using them to further your kingdom. God, I pray that you would just be with these students in this time as they seek after you in any way they see fit. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.